You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We're talking about someone else's shoes, and today we get the privilege of talking about a lady named Deborah. And so let's talk about where we are in the biblical story. It's helpful to know where this falls in. So we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges is where we find Deborah. And so when you think about this in a timeline standpoint, what is happening? So we go from this thing called the Exodus, right? And who, uh, who was part of the Exodus would be Moses. And he leads these people into uh, this place. And, and then he dies and we have Joshua, his disciple in a sense. And so he dies roughly 1446-ish B.C., Um, And then we have Joshua on the scene, and they're doing all kinds of cool stuff in this promised land, trying to figure it out. And then Joshua dies. And so now we have this, who did Joshua disciple that's followed after him to help people understand what God's commandments are and what's going on? Oh, that's right. That's why we have this 300-year time frame from roughly uh, 1390 B.C., to 1,090 BC, we have these 300 years. So we have deliverers. Moses delivered them from the hands of Pharaoh, right? Deliverers. And then we have this middle section here of what they call judges. And it's 300 years of judges. And we're going to talk uh, in a couple of weeks, there'll be a a judge we're going to talk about. But today we're talking about Deborah, which is one of these judges. And it takes us all the way, you go through this judge's time frame, 300 years, and it takes us to the first king. And you see like first and second kings, you can, can follow the, see, do you see the bouncing ball as you go through your Bible book memorization? So one of the teachers that I was studying that I found pretty interesting that was talking about uh, the word judge in this book called Judges. So if, it's, if, you, if you brought your Bibles with you, it's going to be in the front of your Bible. It's going to be right after Joshua. So you're going to be like, if your Bible's this thick, it's early on. Okay? And so one of the guys that was talking about judges was interesting. He said that um, judge in the verb form means to fix. Judge in the verb form means to fix. And judge in the noun form means to save. So please open your Bibles to fixes and saves. There you go. Judges, fixes and saves. And so um, a lot of sermons, when you think about like the book of Judges, they talk about the sin cycle. And you'll hear this a lot, like uh, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then poop, and the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Poop, and you'll hear that five, six, four, five, six, seven times in the, in the book of Judges of how the Israelites were struggling to follow this God. And why were they struggling to follow this God? Well, they came into a culture that wasn't really wanting to follow their God, that had other gods that they would like to talk about. And they got distracted into other gods. I know it has nothing to do with anything that's going on in our world today, that none of us could possibly be distracted to following anything else but Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and just doing whatever he says and not going down this cultural path of maybe looking. And sometimes I don't even recognize the other gods that have snuck in that maybe I'm following. But this, I want you to change your viewpoint of judges as this cycle of sin and they messed up and blew it and they messed up and blew it to the cycle of redemption. And I was wondering, I asked this question to myself this morning I was preparing. I was like, how many people blow it 
and their Christian walk. If you're a Christian, you can raise your hand if you want to. Like, I've messed up. You're like, yep, I messed up. Right? How many people focus on the mess up and you start thinking like, man, I'm just kind of a mistake. I'll never get it right. And this idea of me being able to follow Jesus well, I'm just going to keep messing up over and over and over again. Throw my hands up. That's me. I've done that. I question that. I question that as a pastor. I question that at a lot of levels. Man, how many of us are more focused on our sin and how we messed up than we are on our Savior? And how he redeems. See, God dies for you not to think that way. He sends his son to a cross to die a death and to rise again for you to not think that way. For you to not be focused and stuck in your sin, but focused on the redemption. So this cycle of They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Like, we're still kind of doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. But that's not what we're to focus on. We are to be corrected from that. We are to turn to Jesus, and we are to start focusing on the Savior. So I want you to, as you think about Judges, this this cycle of this, a lot of sermons will title it like the sin cycle, and sin cycle, and sin, 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 sin. And yes, we're all sinners. But think about the redemption cycle. Redemption, redemption, redemption. He loved you so much. 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 Judges. Judges um, don't think as much like gavel and hammer and black robe. Think more like tribal leaders. Think more like political leaders. Yes, they help and make difficult decisions, but it's not like the judge that we're used to in our Western world. Um, so judges, they're in, uh, they were defeated in the enemies of the promised land. They, you'll see it over and over. They get defeated. That's why it took 300 years. They get defeated. Then they have some, then somebody comes in and does okay job. And then they have some peace, years of peace and they get defeated. And it's like this strain off the path, coming back, strain off the path, coming back, strain off the path, coming back, strain off the path. Come on back. Oh, I'm a dancer. No, strain off the path and coming on back. Anybody relate to that? Anybody glad to be back? Amen. So, uh, in Judges, when you look at the beginning of this, we have Othniel, Ehud, Deborah, 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 Gideon, Jephthah, Samson. Uh, so we have these judges that are there. And I, went, I said Deborah because the name of Deborah, it means honeybee. Hmm, Deborah. It means honeybee, which is really, really cool as you start diving into this idea of what honeybees do and what they are in God's culture. It wasn't there a land called the promised land that was flowing with milk and... Interesting that she would be named Deborah. So uh, this is following Joshua's death. They go into this promised land, and uh, Deborah is... comes onto the scene and she is different than any other judges we have in there. She is a prophet, a prophetess. God is talking to her and remember, Jesus hasn't come yet, right? He's not, God is talking to her and relaying to her what she is to tell the people. 
So he's like, God talks to her, and then she like teaches them and says something to him. She's a prophet, and she's the judge, and she's the only lady that's a prophet and a judge. So let's dive into where we find her. This is one of uh, Israel's greatest female leaders. Let's, let's see where we find uh, Deborah. It's Judges chapter 4 in your Bibles. And I'm going to summarize some of this, and then we'll follow along on a map as well. It'll be kind of fun as it goes. But I want you to understand this story of Judges in chapter 4. So uh, Deborah comes to us in chapter 4 and 5. And she sings us a great song that we'll all sing together later in chapter 5. Uh, chapter 4 is this story of like, okay, what, what's going on? So the Israelites are having a problem here again. There's this mean guy named Jabin. He's the king of uh, Cana, uh, and he reigns in Hezor. And he's pretty mean. He has a commander named Sisera. And this commander is ruthless. He's ruthless. Interesting, this stage is setting as in early Iron Age, which matters because iron was better than what they were using on their chariots before. And the Bible specifically states that Sisera had 900 iron chariots. Can you just, you see guys do this? I did this last weekend with Randy, one of our elders in his new motorcycle who's sitting out front. I'm like... Wow, tell me about this motorcycle. Look at this thing. Wow, this is all, can I sit on it? Can you see this? Years and years ago, somebody's like, what do you got? What kind of wheels are those? Are those iron? Woo! They're like, yeah, I got 900 of them. Super powerful, awesome, cool technology in the Iron Age. But the Bible mentions that this guy has 900 chariots fitted with iron, and he has cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. So Ehud, those of you with child, if you're thinking of a name, Ehud, uh, the, the Ehud dies and they have this 20 years of really cruel oppression. And so what do people do when they're oppressed for a long time? They cry out to the, God, I'm in real trouble now. I need you. I forgot about you for 20 years, but now I need you. Totally different than me. So, we're introduced in Judges chapter 4. Let's go ahead and throw that map up there. We'll leave it up there and we'll have some fun if you, can, if you have the map. Um, so, kind of giving us a location of where we are and what we're doing. Sea of Galilee, you guys know that there's some stuff that happened around the Sea of Galilee? Yeah, yeah, we know all about that. So, let me go with you. Chapter 4, join with me. Now, Deborah, a prophet. Ooh, none of the other judges were called a prophet. The wife of Labadoth was leading Israel at that time. I love this. This is kind of cool about Labadoth, this idea. So it can be uh, uh, the, the woman of the town of Labadoth. You know what Labadoth means? It'd be a weird name for a dude. The, the Labadoth means torch. It means fiery. You could say that maybe she was married to a guy named Labadoth. That's what my Bible says. But uh, it could also mean that Deborah... A fiery woman. A woman who's got chutzpah. Was leading Israel at that time. Isn't it interesting that there's a female leading Israel at that time? That would be different. She held court under the palm of Deborah between uh, Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. They went up there for, for mishpat, justice. Give us your wisdom. Tell us you know, for the different disputes that they would have. So she sent for Barak, the son of Abinam, uh, from Kadesh. So Kadesh, up there top right. So that's where this guy, this uh, Barak is from, is Kadesh. So she sends 
for Barak, because there's obviously an issue and a problem here with this cruelly oppressing people with 900 iron chariots. Um, and the Lord, uh, the Lord God of Israel commands you is what she says. She's telling Barak this. Hey, God commands this of you. Go, go with you, 10,000 men. Go get 10,000 men from uh, Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor. If I had a pointer, I would do it. Right there. Can you see it? Mount Tabor. So we're in Jezreel Valley. Mount Tabor. Kadesh is where this guy, Barak, is from. And uh, lead them to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera. She's going to bait Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, this cruelly oppressing dude with his 900 uh, iron chariots and troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Now, Barak, being this mighty general, says, sure, I got it. Sit down, lady. No, he doesn't say that. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. A general commanding over 10,000 troops respects Deborah that much that he wants her her to be with him because he probably feels like she hears from the Lord and we need the Lord on our side. So Deborah says, certainly I'll go with you, but because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours. You're not going to get the credit for this great victory, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, top there. There Barak summoned Zebulun and uh, Naphtali, and the 10,000 men went under his command. Uh, Deborah also went up with him. So how cool is this? They have this, this moment, and now the battle's going to happen. And so this guy comes down. Uh, they told him uh, to, to, at Mount Tabor, this guy comes down, and he gets hammered. Sisera summoned, uh, was summoned uh, through the Kishon River, and all of his men, 900 irons filled, uh, fitted with chariot, or fitted, 900 chariots fitted with iron. Let's get that right. Then Deborah said to Barak, go. You got it. It's yours. This is the day that the Lord has given. So go. Has the Lord not gone ahead of you? So Barak went down the mountain of Tabor with 10,000 of his men following him. And at uh, Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera. Okay? And all of his chariots, all of his powerful stuff were gone. So great victory. Barak pursued the chariots and his army uh, and killed all of those guys by the sword. Meanwhile, Sisera fled on foot to the tent of Jael. And this was going to be up here by Hazor. So he gets his tail kicked here at Mount Tabor. All of his other guys get chased down, and he goes all the way up to where Hazor is on the run, this, this general who had been oppressive to these folks. So Jael, uh, a Gentile actually, went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid, says this to this evil general. Come on in. And he asks for some water, and she gives him milk. Interesting detail in the story. Why should you give him milk? A little bedtime milk, maybe. Settle your tummy. You got your tail kicked. You ran a long ways. Maybe you're going to be tired and you just need a little... You think you'd be tired from running all that way? Like running? Physically running? Yeah. And so, for all you little ones in here, you might need to cover your ears because this is a graphic story. So, he falls asleep. Remember when I said that there's a woman who was going to get credit for this victory? 
That woman's not Deborah. She isn't getting credit for this victory. Jael is going to get credit for this victory because she does a really Christian thing. Some of you have already read ahead. He commands her, hey, you stand at the doorway of the tent, he told her. And if someone comes by and asks you if anyone's there, tell them no. Hide me. This is a bad beating. No problem. Take your little nap, sir. I got you. So, in our Christian manner here, uh, J.L., Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay asleep, exhausted because he ran because he just got his tail kicked. And she gently drove this tent peg right through his skull and nailed him to the ground in the tent. For all of you uh, Bible, nice, fuzzy, warm Bible folks, that's so kind, so gentle. Isn't so warm? My little, my little uh, beautiful Jesus, little, little soft hand Jesus. All the pictures that you've seen. Guess what? So, who's coming after to chase after and trying to get the credit? Barack, right? Comes by. He's like, hey, whoo! Trying to find the last guy. We killed everybody else. She's like, oh, I know where he is. <laughs> really? Well, that's interesting. Let me take you to him. Sure, come on in. Yep, that's him. He's not going to move. And J.L. finished off the job. So uh, that's a good, good deal. So what do you do after a great victory? So you've been oppressed for 20 years. You know, you think about great victories. You know what you got to do? I'm going to go to chapter five is you got to have a fight song. Now, my son played football here at Moscow High School several years ago. And they struggled a little bit. I was wondering if they would ever remember their fight song because they only get to sing it after a victory. So they did better his senior year, but the first two years, I think they might have sung it like twice, maybe three times out of all the games. And I, for some reason, I always think of fight songs as the same, like, na 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 And you kind of have that same, same rhythm. How about the Army-Navy game? This would be really tough. I saw this for the first time this year. So Army-Navy plays this big game. And whoever wins, they both sing their fight songs, but the loser sings theirs first, and the other team comes over there. And they're standing behind them, and you're singing, you're like, this year Army lost, and they're singing their Go Army fight song, and they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. We lost. And then they go over to the Navy side, and the loser gets to go watch. The winners sing their fight song. So there's this great victory, and the next thing that we see about Deborah is in your Bibles in chapter 5. It says the song of Deborah. Usually when you sing a victory song, you sing about how awesome you were or how great your, 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 your group is or your mighty, the mighty Moscow people and all of those things. This song sings about the mightiness of the Lord. The mightiness of the Lord. And then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up, wake up, Deborah. No, I won't do that one. There's all kinds of great stuff. Uh, I think my favorite part of the fight song is uh, near the end when uh, that you would be singing, he asked for water and she gave him milk and then she put a tent peg in his head. Hey, everybody now. 
So uh, actually, this chapter five is some of the oldest uh, Hebrew literature that they, they think about when they think about palm, or, uh, poems and songs. And so Deborah, not only was she a prophetess, uh, not only was she a judge, but she was also a writer and a, a songwriter and a poet. And so all of this great stuff, it's like, okay, cool story, Josh. I get it. We, got the, we understand kind of where this is. There's a beautiful Mediterranean Sea. There's a Sea of Galilee where this battle happened right in the action. Right in the action of those things. So what does all this mean? So what? What are we, what are, what are we, what are we walking in Deborah's shoes for? Why does her story matter? I think there's some things that we can take away from this when we look at the life of Deborah. First thing I want you to think about is that Deborah was appointed by God. God chose her to lead Israel. And why would God choose her to lead Israel? What are some of her characteristics? Do you believe that God has chosen you for a certain leadership opportunity? Whether it's right where you work right now, whether it's in your sorority or in the classes that you're in or in your job. or in, Like you, if you acknowledge yourself as a Christian and you follow Jesus, he has appointed you for something. He has a purpose for you in your life. Are you going to fulfill that purpose? Do you have lots of gods coming into your life trying to distract you from what the one God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords has for you to do in your life? And how would you know that? How would you, God, tell me what, I'll, what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it. And then he tells you, you're like, well, not that. Hold on. That would cost me a lot. That's not quite the career path I was thinking. But Deborah, what sets her apart is she listened. She was sub- submitted to the will of God in her life. She listened to what he said. And even though it would have been very uncommon for a woman to lead in that time and do those things, she did it anyway and she did it boldly. And again, this is not about gender, male or female. This is about listening to God. She was a woman with great wisdom because she spent time in pursuit of who God was. She was a a light to the people in a dark time, 20 years of bad oppression. And I would say this, you are appointed by God. You sitting right there, you don't have to be on a pulpit, you don't have to be on a stage, you don't have to have a big, you you have a very big audience. You're touching thousands and thousands of lives in your lifetime. But you're appointed by God to fulfill what he has called you to do. And you don't have to doubt it. You don't have to, you, you, you follow through on that and you are appointed. You are given permission. So she was a leader charged with helping people keep the covenant. Do you understand? They were breaking away from the covenant. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Read through Judges and understand what evil were they doing. They were sacrificing and killing babies. That's not good. They were doing all kinds of sexually immoral stuff. They were drifting away from what God had called them to do, the covenant that Moses had made, that they had walked with the Ten Commandments. They were drifting away from that and did it for 300 years. Boom, boom. Where are we drifting? Individually or as a society? 
See, in our church, we talk about going and making disciples. The vision of our church, why we even exist, is to reach the world for Jesus Christ one person at a time. Tonight, we might reach more than one. We might reach two, we might reach three, we might reach four, we might be five, maybe it's more. And we celebrate that. But when they get baptized tonight, it's not a get-out-of-hell-free card. Now the journey continues on with intentionality because our mission is to create biblical disciples and relational environments. This is not a relational environment. You're hearing some guy, but we want people to get into relational environments. And if you are in here and you're in a relational environment, there's a pretty good chance that that has changed your life. You are uniquely qualified to do the mission God has for you, just like Deborah was uniquely qualified to do the mission that God had for her. And she listened and she led. See, the overarching warning of judges, and this probably doesn't even apply to us, sarcasm intended, judges is that the people did what was right in their own eyes. I cannot help but wonder what am I doing that's right in my own eyes in our church? What am I doing that's right in my own eyes in my marriage? What am I doing that's right in my own eyes with my kids? Who has influence in my life? Where am I getting most of my information from? Why am I encouraging you guys to bring your Bibles and highlight it up? Why did I steal it off of the screen today for you? Who's influencing your life? Is God influencing our lives? Are we running into the cycle of judges? Is our nation, are we characterized as doing what's right in our own eyes? Are we way closer to God than we were 50 years ago, 100 years ago? Or are we starting to see these other gods creep into our life? See, Deborah was the stronghold. They had 40 years. First, uh, in the very end of her song, in the end of the text here, but they had 40 years. And the land had peace for 40 years. And do we have that same peace? Read through Judges. Tell me how we're any different. Are we or am I doing right in my own eyes? But here's the cool part. Is uh, Deborah, she died. And that peace died. She did her part. But the next, as you read in Judges, you'll see that there was multiple parts that were not accomplished. And people paid a price over and over and over again. And God was redeeming over and over again. But we have hope. We have hope. We have hope because we are anointed and we can do our part. Deborah always sought God first. And listened to his word. She was the lamp showing God, showing who God is. God saw the failure of of the judges not doing what, and so he brought us a better 
judge or fixer or saver. The kings tried to do it all correctly. How do they do as you go through your Bible and you get through the 300 years of judges and you move into kings? How do the kings do? Give us a king, give us a king. Still didn't listen. So God brought us a deliverer for eternity. He brought us a fixer or a saver or the judge that fixed it all for us. He brought us the king of kings and the Lord of lords and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you see this redemptive God coming back over and over and over. And as we think of the different people in the story and their obedience to that, I think I have to ask myself the question, how am I doing? It's cool to learn some information, but how am I doing? How am I doing at hearing God? How am I doing at submitting to his will? How am I doing about chasing the things of the Lord instead of chasing the things of the world? Because there was a sacrifice made. We're going to take this time and go into communion, and we do this every week. But this week, we get to celebrate the best deliverer. This week, we get to celebrate the best judge. And this week, we get to celebrate the best king. So if you are new with us and you're like, whoa, what's going on here? They're handing out stuff. Uh, This is for believers. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, raise your hand. We'll get you one. We have Ron over here. We have Forrest over here. We'll get you some communion. And we take this every week. We're not a once a month communion church. We're not a a once every quarter communion church. We're a every time we get together communion church. Life groups can get together and do communion because we are doing this in remembrance of what this king was what this judge, this righteous judge was, what this deliverer was, all wrapped into our Lord and Savior Jesus. So let's take this time as we come. And I just wanted to, to just let the Lord work in here and just say, hey, okay, Josh, let me show you where you're right in your own eyes. Let me show you the path that you could walk on that would lead to redemption and restoration. So God, I just ask right now in this room, you would identify in our lives where we've been trying to be right in our own eyes. Where we want to take the mantle, where we want to take control and we don't want to let you have control in our lives. Whether it's with our finances, whether it's with our career, whether it's with school, whether it's with relationships or all those things, Lord, I just ask you to bring it up to the surface and that you'd put us in a position to be like you who seeks restoration, who seeks reconciliation who sought it so much that you gave your one and only son for us. Father God, search this body. Search us in here. Where are we right in our own eyes? And help us to move to being right in your eyes, to seeking the things that you want us to seek. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it and he'd given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body. This is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember what it looks like to be right with Jesus. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's remember what it looks like to be right in God's eyes. Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the book of Judges. I thank you for showing us that 
It's not about gender. It's about obedience. It's about listening. It's about being bold because we have heard from you and we know your voice. Lord, help us to know your voice well. Help us to take those action steps to spend time with you. Father, when I'm away from you, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what is right. I am right in my own eyes. Lord, I don't want to be away from you. Me being right in my own eyes has led me to disaster. Help me to continue to hear you. Help me to continue to follow you. Lord, help me to be like this example you put in the scriptures of Deborah. Lord, we thank you for this time. Work on our hearts as we worship. We love you. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.